It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful by slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. It is our midweek Wednesday edition of the PFF NFL podcast. So welcome in everybody that's live here on YouTube. How you doing, man? Good. You? Doing great. Excellent. A lot happening in the NFL this week. I think yeah. there's a lot to discuss. Um, so let's just let's just dive right into it. A lot of times on the Wednesday podcast, we will review Monday Night Football. We were unable to do it last week because, first off, the Monday Night game was terrible. Mm. Secondly... More importantly, it was the trade deadline. This week, though, we have Jeff Saturday getting hired by the Indianapolis Colts. We have Josh Allen with an elbow injury. There's a lot of other stuff happening as well. So let's just, let's just fly through some of the news here. Okay. Okay. Ravens Saints on Monday Night Football. Ravens run away with it and uh, run all over the Saints. Good win by the Ravens. Saints fall to 3-6, and six, and the Ravens move to 6-3. and three. Yeah. Um, Any initial thoughts there? wasn't a ton to come out of this game it was you know a fairly straightforward win like they were the better team they won they control both sides of the ball run game yeah. was impressive yeah i thought and in in the defense so to me the story is the ravens defense they added roquan smith mm-hmm. he had one of his best games of the season he was fantastic patrick queen the other linebacker who's in year three first rounder has not played well by our standards over the last you know two plus years the last four or five weeks though much better he was good in this game kyle hamilton's been flying around making plays to me that's one of the stories that came out of this is the ravens have invested in all these really good second level athletic players players who have had up and down production careers like roquan and like patrick queen and then rookie kyle hamilton like those guys are starting to like to make good here in recent weeks yeah that all worked really well looks good together um if the Patrick Queen, Roquan Smith axis can continue like that going forward, I mean, this Ravens defense is at a different level. Uh, Justin Houston, of course, with three sacks. We'll get to him later in the explain the grade section because his PFF grade wasn't great coming out of this. But overall, this season, Justin Houston has been making a pretty big impact given he's not actually that old, but he's just he's felt old for years. Yeah. I mean, there was also a point in his career where he did decline. Like, he yeah. did go from dominant pass rusher to situational pass rusher who's solid and I think that's part of it right with um guys like Justin Houston like we mentioned this about and Sue 
a guy that plays 800 snaps every single year of his career like what what if he just gave him four or five hundred and I think that helped that's helped prolong Justin Houston's career so that they can you know take some shots with him when you know without overtaxing him but he's had multiple sacks in the last three straight games he's had at least three pressures albeit including those sacks in the last three games like he's made a real difference to this team so we will uh, we will explain Justin Houston's grade a little bit later on the show but um, look the Ravens I think remain a good team Saints still trying to figure things out the Ravens are one of those teams in position to make a case for being the third best team in the AFC if we assume that Buffalo and Kansas City are still the two best teams in the conference then it's well is it Miami is it the Ravens is it the um the the Bengals is it even the Jets like there's a bunch of teams fighting to be that third best team in in the conference and Baltimore I think is probably in pole position to be for that maybe Baltimore or Miami from that perspective the offseason narrative that the AFC is loaded and good teams are going to have bad records it's starting to kind of play out right at least teams we thought were going to be good are having poor have poor records and the AFC does look loaded and it could be it could be tightened up even more if Josh Allen's elbow injury is significant so look at that that's the best segue I've ever had in the history of the show Nice. Josh Allen with a UCL injury. Strain, sprain. Um, I can get into the details. I've had, I've had UCL I- issues before. I've had the old elbow sprain. You know the way in a game, Tony Romo is acutely attuned to any injury that a quarterback might suffer, having suffered them all himself at yeah, some yeah. point. You know, yeah. It's like, oh, let me tell you about when you get hit like that. That's, that's a back injury that's two to four weeks. You know, that's, this is what it's going to You immediately when Josh Allen hurt himself we're like oh that's a UCL yeah let me tell you all about the UCL it's relatable and then he went out there like the next play and heaved a 70 yard bomb down the field so that was that was just pain management <laughs> he just he managed the pain to uh to heave but it 70 I've never yards. seen a human being like immediately react to an injury like you at all let me tell you everything about that injury that I've just seen happen we're gonna take a chance here first off, diagnosing it I'm gonna diagnose it and then tell you about the recovery and the prognosis two things first off yes Romo is in tune with injuries however the one time when Dak's ankle was falling off yeah. he was kind of he was hoping for a sprain Jim uh, I think cramp just was what he was actually pitching oh, it's a cramp. we just gotta hope that's that's cramp hope it's Jim, a cramp as as Dak is desperately trying you have to a compound his... fracture right in front of your face here Tony Dak is desperately trying to re- replace his foot on the bottom of his leg and Tony Romo is hoping it's just cramp so um this this injury occurred as you know in the throwing motion um most elbow injuries are more like non-contact it's just taxed by the the throw and you don't see tommy john surgery for quarterbacks like you do in um you know baseball it's just a different throw like the 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 heavier object actually helps protect the elbow a little bit because your arm's not whipping back as far but um, much like matthew stafford having elbow injuries elbows usually lead to inaccuracy um and the pain can be enough that i mean it affects everything you do throwing wise so i don't know where that pain management's going to be for josh allen they have the vikings this week case keenum is the backup people have talked about how conservative the bills are with injuries and how they would probably try to play the long game here and um, if that's the case we might see case keenum for at least a week or two doesn't sound like tommy john's on it's not torn or anything it doesn't sound like that but even just like a couple weeks that's not always enough to to get rid of the uh pain inflammation Mm. And it, you know, for 
the Bills are not in a position where they can kind of go, ah, we can sacrifice a game or two. It's not a problem. Like, they need the wins. You know, they've already dropped games to people that they, we shouldn't or we don't ex- we don't think they should have. You know, they, lo- they lose to Miami, they lose to the Jets. Those are games they wouldn't have seen coming in terms of losses. Um, if they want the number one seed in the AFC, if they want the playoffs to go through Buffalo, if they want to be the team that everybody has to beat, I mean, they've already dropped a couple of games. If they lose to a Minnesota team because Case Keenum was the quarterback, if they lose, you know, the following week, that it's not great. Yeah, there's obviously an advantage to going to any, you know, to just being the home team. But in Buffalo, in particular, you would think in the playoffs, you do have that advantage. So this is a, it's a big development here in the in the middle of the season for the Bills. We'll see when we have more information what ends up happening here. But it's going to test the depth of this Bills team, right? One of the things that the reason why we were talking about the Bills as a powerhouse that could win the Super Bowl this year is because of Josh Allen plus the rest of the team, plus the pass rush, plus the coverage unit, plus their receivers. Um, Josh Allen's the key there, right? Play, him playing at an MVP caliber level is what makes them special, but the rest of the depth on that Bills team that they've built up that is good is going to get tested. Case Keenum as a backup, I think he's one of the better backups. He's in that Jacoby Brissett type of bucket I would say right you can go out there and go two and one three and one if you need him but if you have him for a full season other than 2017 you probably don't trust him and remember like that 2017 Minnesota Vikings roster and team was really good right this Buffalo team's as good as that if not better so you know as much as you're saying yeah it wouldn't be great if they lost a couple of games with Josh Allen sitting on on the sideline recovering Case Keenum's well capable of beating you know a couple of teams like this like this this Minnesota team, I think everybody kind of acknowledges is a little bit overrated relative to their record. I, there's no reason Case Keenum can't beat this Vikings team. Case Keenum revenge game, of course. Of course. So so that's in the news. We'll have more tomorrow on the preview show. Uh, we'll hopefully know more about Josh Allen. They might bring it all the way up till game time, though. I, yeah. And that is, I mean, you talk about completely different players. Josh Allen and Case Keenum. Everything about them is completely different. I mean, to be honest, who can the Bills find as a backup that's close to Josh Allen? <laughs> you don't have one unless they pull Cam Newton off the street, right? Um, so, that, yeah, it's there, a completely different preparation for the Vikings. There's no really great, you know, stylistic comparison or backup for Josh Allen. That being said, the ones that they've had have been really on the other side of it. Yeah, Matt Barkley, like, Case Keenum. Matt Barkley, Case Keenum, and then they draft you know Jake Fromm yeah a guy with even less arm than those two guys they've gone for yeah. the exact polar opposite types of player the Bills don't have a type they just stumbled into cyborg Josh Allen and then their type is the opposite of him apparently um, and then the other news of course this week we discussed it on the PFF NFL daily Jeff Saturday getting hired by the Indianapolis Colts go listen to the daily a couple couple days ago we had our own uh, instant reaction initial reaction to jeff saturday getting hired by the colts have you do you have any new information new takes that you want to bring to the table here about jeff saturday's hire not new but every new piece of information surrounding it makes it more funny so so no it's not so i know what you're going to say and i'm going to tell you why it's not that what funny. are you going to say about the the play caller that he chose no Okay. No, I wasn't going to even mention that. Oh, okay. that's that's because everybody's like, this is a major surprise. It's like there's literally nobody on the staff to call plays. Of course, they're going to take the thirty year, thirty year old who was like a assistant two day, two weeks ago, which is itself funny. So I'm not even bringing that up. But since you brought it up, it's just that a product is also of, funny. That's like 
what else would he have done? I'm just saying we've hired a guy who has no idea what he's doing, and we're pitching play calling over to a 30-year-old who has almost no experience as well. That's funny, objectively. You can't argue. Oh, that's fine, but like that was expected. That was not as soon as Jeff Saturday was hired. And they fired the head coach slash play caller, uh-huh. and there's having, no one else with experience having on the staff. Fired the OC the week before, <laughs> and having already fired the offense coordinator, they, yeah. that was like the next step. Of I'm course, I'm just they're saying gonna... it's objectively hilarious. Now, additional information since we talked about it and in the instant reaction, they held a press conference to explain like, oh, what right, the hell yeah. happened, and it was one of the most absurd, batshit press conference you're ever going to see from anybody. It was madness. They, like Ursay was busy giving his explanation about it. It was like, well, it's actually a good thing that he has zero qualifications and experience because he won't be burdened down by the fear that head coaches get, you know, and the 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 needing to stick to the analytics and the data that tells you how to, you know, help helps you make decisions. He's completely free of all that knowledge. Like his ignorance in this job is actually his strength, and with the ignorance he has for the job he's doing. It makes him one of the strongest people on the planet. I'm paraphrasing here, but that was basically right. the pitch, the sales pitch. Uh, and then they, they, all right, Jeff, were you a little bit surprised that you were shocked, Jim? You know, sho- <laughs> let me tell you how shocked I was. But look, as far as I see it, this is like an audition, not just for the Colts, but for 31 other teams. I'm out here with the chance of a lifetime that I didn't expect to be given. I'm just living the dream, boys. So... <laughs> so Jeff Saturday was like blown away that they made this call. Then it turns out that Jim Ursay called him up during the game no. this weekend. Yes. I mean, they had obviously talked about it ahead of time, right? I, I don't think known. he offered him the job during the game, but he was on the phone during the Colts game as they were getting shellacked by the Patriots, like bitching to Jeff Saturday about the disaster of the team right now. And then eventually it's like, right, now I'm going to fire. I'll do it. Just yeah. like, I'll do it. Why not? So, I mean, look, it's hilarious. And there are people out there sort of defending it and saying, well, you know, maybe he won't do a bad job. And you know, there are guys who have been hired with minimal experience that haven't done, you know. This is all true. Like, it is possible that Jeff Saturday, particularly as head coach, where we've said before, look, the job is somewhat CEO administrative rather than, you know, X's and O's and coaching, like, you know what I mean? You can, it's very difficult to pin down exactly what the required skill set is for head coach. It's not just because you were a good position coach doesn't mean anything. Just because you were a good coordinator doesn't mean anything. It, it is a very unusual job description that, that way. Um, but any argument you can make for why Jeff Saturday will be good at this job or simply why he might not automatically be bad applies to literally any human being you can pluck off the street. The only thing that differentiates him from those guys is cronyism. Like, he used to play for me. I have Jeff Saturday's number on speed dial. I like him. I'm going to hire him. I think we got the full behind the scenes of how it came down. Joey Molinaro <laughs> broke it down extremely I mean, well in his video. Yeah. I, that is, you know, the, the sort of, the way the world is right now, it's, it's getting more and more difficult to parody anything. Like, there's a lot of things, the Onion, or there's a lot of real things that could easily be Onion articles these days, right? That Joey Molinaro video where he essentially <laughs> essentially suggests that Jim Irsay made this deal because he put on some music, and the, the words that kept coming out from the music involved the word Saturday. So I, I couldn't rule out that that's how it happened. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. 
Yeah, like it's tough to tell if that's parody or just, you know, great insider information yeah. at this point. Um, of course, um, my level-headed take on the daily was I'm intrigued by a non-traditional hire. Uh, the process, when you hear Jim Irsay speak, <laughs> clearly <laughs> the process of how we got here is not necessarily some mastermind who's like, I know what the NFL needs. They need the CEO head coach who isn't bogged down by X's and O's and football. Here's the guy that we're going to bring in. Just a great guy that's going to lead men. Just to put some color to that, you know, a tweet by Greg Doyle from the Indianapolis Star, something like that. Indy Sports Star, Star Sports, whatever. Anyway, Greg Doyle. Uh, sounds like Colts interim coach Jeff Saturday will not be rolling the fourth down dice as often as Frank Reich had. Asked his theory on that, Jeff said, I'm an old lineman, bruh. I work awfully hard to get points. I'm going to take points. It's hard living in there, man. So yeah, old school, I think, is the, uh, the kindest descriptor of what we're going to be seeing in terms of, you know, in-game fourth down decisions. Anyway. Yeah. Bruh. You know me, trying to give the benefit of the doubt all the time. How's that working out for you? I, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I've said before, people laughed at Nick Sirianni because of one press conference, thought he was over his head and thought he was an idiot, and now he's looking like one of the best coaches in the NFL Yeah, with the Eagles. Uh-huh. So uh, that's all I'm saying is, like, let's reserve judgment. If, if Urse, I mean, Ursay's sitting up there like, this Frank Reich, he's going for, can't believe he's going for it on fourth and two, this guy and his numbers, like, I gotta, I gotta get, get rid of this. I mean, that whole process sounds absurd, obviously. The process of how we got here <laughs> is a little nutty. <laughs> but the, the future, no matter what Jeff Saturday does or doesn't do, the idea that the next head coach can come from not a play caller is intriguing to me. That's all I'll say. I'm not saying this is the prime example. Um, there are also other people who are looking at this hire and saying, well, if Jeff Saturday can get hired, why don't other people who don't have experience get hired? And I would push back on that and say, judging NFL hiring practices based off of what one Jim Ursay does is not the way to do it. You don't project Jim Ursay's emotional call my old player from the best time in our team's history decision you don't project that across all other 31 nfl owners and how they do business this is jim ursay doing business the way jim ursay does it and still i mean you could hear it in his press conference we're in the top quartile of the top quartile of teams since 2000 we're the colts we're a good team like he's still living in peyton's glory days and saying we got to get back to that i mean this is how did mcafee just not answer the phone I don't know. Well, Mike, he's busy. You know, he's a the thing he about Jeff, the great thing about Jeff Saturday is he was available, really available. He's on ESPN. I know, but you know, ESPN are only too happy to throw their their analysts towards NFL jobs because it makes them look great. But like Peyton Manning, you know, the man's busy. He's got the Manning cast every week. Omaha Productions is going. Nuts. Nobody wants to take a pay cut and become Colts right, head coach that too. He's got Peyton's places. Like, he's going to be an owner, not a head coach. Like, Peyton's busy, you know? Yeah. McAfee's just signed with FanDuel. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars. He's, like, cooking. He's on daily for multiple hours. Like, the man's got a job, you know? Jeff Saturday's out here like, yeah, you know, roll up to ESPN, talk a bit, and then bounce. I, I got time. Yeah. There's always kernels of truth in everything. The kernel of truth in there that having having a lack of experience when it comes to decision making 
might help, but the way it was described, not so much. I mean, if it's because you're not going to get bogged down with, you know, data that's going to help you in your decision making, that's that's wrong. The idea that you're not going to take somebody that's jaded by the process or so ingrained in his ways, like there, there's a kernel of truth there, right? That you're not going to just have this another cookie cutter head coach. On the other hand, it is fast, but we talked about this with Nathaniel Hackett. Decision making on the field is fast. Like things are happening quickly. And that inexperience is going to be difficult unless you rely on the people around you, like the 30 year old first time play caller. Mm-hmm. Probably can't get worse than last week, though. Uh, it can stay the same. Could stay the same. But um, it's, it's, um, it's fascinating. I'll say that. <laughs> It is fascinating. It's, it's objectively hilarious. I'll also say this. Josh McDaniels might not be off to a great start with the Raiders. And people trashed him for giving his word and then backing out with the Colts. Yeah. I'll just say, listen to the press conference. Listen to everything. Maybe McDaniels led them on a little bit too far. Yeah. But he hit a point. Well, listen, I'm, I'm just going to say this as 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 much as I possibly can without giving away our insider sources here. All I'll say is Josh McDaniels heard Jim Ursay speak as well. Yes. Right? And then there was a point where Josh said, I can't do that. Yeah. And there was a reason why he backed I, out. I would say it's a fairly reasonable point to make to say that it wouldn't take that much of that type of press conference coming into your ears before you were like, you know what? I don't know. That this is a great plan. Yeah. Now, you know... Maybe you should have seen that coming before you agreed to the deal and then reneged on it. But I do. But you think don't know. I mean, you have so many that. meetings, and like McDaniel's got far enough down the path that he's like, I, I can't be a part of this, right? For right, right or wrong, that's how. That's how it went. That's how it went down. Mm-hmm. All sound good. Sure. You guys have heard me talk about them before, but our new sponsor, Symbol, has their best offer yet for new users. Symbol is offering. A $500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports. When you sign up with the code FOOTBALL, your first deposit comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're hesitant on joining or simply haven't joined yet, now you can, you can do so with a risk-free deposit. As a reminder, Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on your favorite pro and college teams. And now you can join with a $500 money-back guarantee. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use the code FOOTBALL to get your risk-free deposit up to $500. Whether you invest in an up-and-coming team like the Giants or a top dog like the Buffalo Bills or the Philadelphia Eagles, Symbol allows you to buy and sell team stocks and profit from your sports knowledge. All right, Sam, do we want to get into our uh, our bets mm. for the season? Yeah. Do you have the bet spreadsheet? Yeah. Can you I fire do. that over to me, I please? I do indeed have it. I had to restart my computer right we mid-show can, uh, here. We can throw this in the description as well. It's, like, open for people to, to look at it. You can see um, you can see the tra- how the progress is going as well. So we won two of these already. We've already early. won two. Yeah. The Browns were supposed to start 4-0, according to TyGuy312 on Twitter. They didn't. Uh, they came pretty close, though. Uh, and then the Bucks were supposed to sweep the Saints in 2022, and Brady would have an 80-plus PFF grade in both. Well, that didn't happen. Brady didn't have an 80 grade the first game. Immediately done. So, we're, we won two. 
That being said, things start to get off the rails pretty quickly with a bunch of other ones, though. So do you want to like go through them? We don't have to go through, through each one, but I think some of the intriguing ones, um, like uh, Seahawks winning. There's a couple Seahawks ones, right? Yeah. Seahawks will win eight We're plus in games trouble. in 2022. We took it. We're looking bad. We're looking really bad there. Uh, Thomas Stewart was the one who bet this one. They're not six and three. They're six and three. So they're yeah. two they're games two away. Games. Yeah. Two games um, down the stretch. <laughs> Thomas Stewart is two games away from winning this. We were full believers that the Seahawks were in rebuild mode, uh-huh. that they, you know, looked like a four win team with one of the worst quarterback situations in the NFL. Um, and then the other one from a different Seahawk fan, I believe, Trevor Stunenberg. Seahawks starting quarterback, either Geno or Locke, didn't care who. That's how bad this was, is that at the yeah. time, nobody even knew if Geno was starting, and people right. were still making bets. And Trevor's over here saying, hey, they're going to be in the top 25% of qualifying quarterbacks in PFF grade. Uh-huh. Well, right now, it's like the top 8%. He's like third or yeah. something. Geno Smith already up there. So unless Geno Smith does turn back into a pumpkin in the second half of the year, if he pulls a Brian Hoyer. He needs to completely right? and totally collapse. Yes, then uh, that's looking pretty good. So any anti-Seahawks bets We're from us, yeah. not looking good so their, far. Their schedule at Tampa Bay, then home against the Vegas Raiders, at the Rams, uh, home against Carolina, home against San Francisco, at Kansas City, home against the Jets, home against the Rams. I mean, shouldn't be that hard to get two wins out of that. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to lose this one. Oh, lose hard. Yeah. Um, what else is uh, popping off the page to you? So, so I did a little bit of research on some of the ones that require, like, numbers. Um, yeah. The one, I th- maybe the first one we took, or this, uh, certainly one of the, the first ones, was somebody who was betting that the Patriots – top three draft picks from 2022 would add more war this season than the Ravens' top three draft picks. Now, remember, coming out of the draft, the Patriots had universally the worst draft, according to anybody that analyzed it. You know, they, they were the team that had the lowest graded draft from anybody that does that kind of analysis. Conversely, pretty much everybody loved Baltimore's draft. Um, now, part of this was that David Ajabo was taken out of this because of his right. you know, uh, his injury so he doesn't count it's the next guy which is Travis Jones so war so far uh, the, you did look this up I did okay. the Baltimore Ravens three guys are worth 0.2 wins above replacement that's Tyler so, Lindebaum yep uh, Kyle Hamilton and Kyle Hamilton and Travis Jones Travis Jones so 0.08 was Linderbaum, I think 0.12 was Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton and then Travis Jones nothing uh, we would be in this would be a lot closer if the Patriots flipped the order in which Jones they drafted oh right Marcus Jones was the third guy if they drafted Jack Jones ahead of Marcus Jones we would be in a lot more trouble because he's worth I think 0.12 on his own we might need to just let the you know let that slide but all three of the Patriots currently are worth negative war uh, 0.06 negative for Cole Strange, who's been getting his ass kicked a little bit lately. Uh, 0.01 for Tyquan Thornton and 0.06, all negative for Marcus Jones. For Marcus Jones. So yeah. right now it's 0.2 positive versus minus 0.13. I might have to let them throw Jack Jones in there. Well, that it's makes it closer. Jack um, Jones is 0.18, one of the most valuable corners in the NFL so yeah. far this season. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting one. That was, uh, so we're winning and that was aggressive. That was aggressive for him because, yeah. you know, the Patriots, like as, as you mentioned, nobody, uh, none of the quote-unquote experts seem to like the Patriots draft. Mm-hmm. Jake Peters on that one. There's a couple, I think, Zach Wilson ones in here. 
So ironically, you know, every Seahawk-related bet, we're in trouble. Uh, there's a few Jets ones in here, but they've all focused on Zach Wilson, which is the one area of the Jets team that isn't dramatically improved. Yeah. So Zach Wilson will break into the top 15 in PFF war this season. And, and Lamar Jackson will not. Uh, there's one that says right. Zach Wilson, top 15 quarterback in PFF great, and Lamar Jackson will not. Right. So there's a couple essentially predicting a giant leap forward in Zach Wilson, which ain't happening at the moment. Uh, one of the interesting ones from Steven Robinson here, Daniel Jones will finish within three points of Russell Wilson. I know. In PFF grade. And remember at what the time. right now? We talked about this off air. At the time, we were thinking, well, Russ will probably bounce back, at right. least to a point. So how much better does Daniel Jones have to get yeah. to get up to that point? Now, here's the deal. The Giants are winning a ton of games, but where's Daniel Jones in his actual He's grade? ahead. It's 64.6 overall to 63.2. So Daniel Jones is still only at 64.6. It's not a great overall grade for Jones, but it is ahead of Russell Wilson, yeah, who's at 63 points. Our entire thought process around this particular bet missed the relevant piece of information. Like we were Which is thinking, what that Russ could grade in the 60s? Yes. We were all we're asking is, you know, can Daniel Jones take a big enough leap to get to where Russell Wilson is going to be this year? Whatever that is. You know, even if it's not elite 90 grade Russell Wilson. If he takes a step back, like can Daniel Jones take a big enough leap with the new Giants with Brian Dable as coach to, to join Russ or to get within shooting distance of it. It never even occurred to us that Russ might play like crap and grade, you know, in, this, in the low 60s. And that's exactly what's happened. Like Daniel Jones is basically... <laughs> Russell Wilson has sank down to meet him. Russell Wilson's previous career low grade was last year, 73.9. Yeah. He's now 10 points lower than that right now. It's 63. Right. Every single stat... Um, yards per attempt, it's the low, uh, second lowest of his career. I mean, that passer rating is the lowest of his career. Pretty much everything's the worst of his career. So, so far. that literally never crossed my mind that Russell Wilson yeah. would play worse than last year. I could maybe see that he would be closer to last year than previous years, right? You know, and, and we were looking at a sort of real decline. But the idea that he would play worse this season than last year, it just literally didn't even cross my mind. Yeah, so that one's close. That one's up there. Yeah. Um, Kase Chow said the Panthers will win the NFC South. Started to look uh, interesting yes. as of a couple weeks ago. It's going to be a little bit more challenging. They're a couple games behind. Yeah. Um, one of the more fascinating ones was uh, Vortex right here on YouTube. Derek Carr and Tua, PFF grades combined, will be higher than Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers' PFF grade combined. He was going based off of these are the guys that uh, added and subtracted Devontae Adams and yeah. Tyreek Hill, respectively. That's going to be close. Yeah. Okay, because maybe. right now, Tua is high. Tua and Mahomes are both in the top four. And uh, Rodgers is still playing pretty well. That's the thing. Rodgers is still playing well enough. Grade's but, not great, though. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's still in like the top 10 ish, I think, yeah. in passing grade. Um, so Rodgers' grade hasn't actually tanked. Carr's grade has been lower than expected. Yeah. Uh, so Carr, okay, Rodgers and Mahomes, right? Are the other two? Rodgers and Mahomes. Getting the numbers here. Yeah, so Sam's on the fly here, grabbing are. some of the numbers. Uh, while he's doing that, some of the other ones, um, Stephen DeSaro said all four AFC West teams will make the playoffs Ew. and that the Raiders or Chargers will win the division and the winning team's quarterback wins the MVP. Well, the Raiders and uh, Raiders and Broncos not looking too swift. 
All right, so the Mahomes-Rogers side of this is significantly ahead because Derek Carr is not playing well. Because of Carr, yeah. right. It's 165 combined PFF grade versus 156.5, so they got like a 10 grading point advantage. Yeah, well, Carr's one first quarter away. I mean, if he just doesn't play the second half, he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Tua, Tua and Mahomes are comparable in grade this year, and uh, Rodgers is, is beating Carr so far. So there are a couple of interesting offensive line ones as well. Uh, one of them is that the Vikings would finish top five in PFF's end-of-year offensive line rankings, which, again, seemed insane to me. They've climbed into the top ten. Um, this week must have hurt them, though, right? It did. This they they dropped back out of the top ten, but only to, like, 11th or 12th or something. Um, uh, so that's – I mean, that's live. Like, I don't think they'll get as high as top five, but they're at least within – touch of it in a way that I didn't think was even on the you know on the table heading into the season like that offensive line has dramatically transformed itself uh looking at the they were 19th heading into the season in the preseason rankings then they went uh, they hovered around those sort of low teens for a few weeks and then started to climb like that offensive line has improved Christian Darasol looks phenomenal hasn't given up a sack this season they went up to 16th and 12th 11th 10th and then back down to 11th this week. So they're borderline top 10 right now with only, like, the, the worst player in that offensive line is the rookie, Ed Ingram. And anytime you've got a young player as your weakest link, like, if he starts to get it down the stretch, it's definitely possible that team could get their way into that. The problem is the top five is pretty well set and has been for a while, like Philadelphia, Cleveland, Kansas City, Baltimore, once they got Ronnie Stanley back. And Green Bay, once they got David Bakhtiari back, the Patriots kind of hover in that ballpark as well. So you would need one of those lines, I think, to really start to struggle for the Vikings to have the sort of fifth spot to be able to jump into. Um, Just so you guys know, just as a reminder, once again, we did this before the season. Um, The premise here on the bets was that you're listening. You guys are avid listeners of the PFF NFL podcast. Hopefully you're, you know, something triggers that you just want to disagree with us on. Then you wanted to, you know, put something up you know put something up whether it's you know a charity or whatever and we were going to put something up as well usually a pff plus subscription but this is why so the ones that we're losing because we like a lot of people were complaining about we were only taking bets where it looked certain that we were going to win right which was kind of the idea because the, the whole Gino point is, one looked pretty certain that's the thing the whole point was we've been saying these things for months because you know it's the off season nothing's really changed right um and we are very sure of them but this is the NFL. Stuff happens every single year that you never see coming. And if you think we're crazy, this is your chance right. to say, I was right. I saw Geno Smith being a god coming and look like a genius because of it, right? So we were very sure that all of these were going to break our way, knowing that the way the NFL works, there's a chance that a bunch of them won't. Um, so the Seahawks thing has taken us completely by surprise. The fact that Russell Wilson is grading terribly took us by surprise we're right on a bunch of them but there's a lot that are in play like that vikings thing being in play i didn't see coming like there are a lot of these that are close now because the nfl is crazy and that's why i think this was a pretty fun exercise and that that was part of the fun right the the pushback was like you always hate my team or you always say negatively all right so then you you defend your team and we'll put something up for it and uh that's where we are so we'll, we'll have a few new bets as well any of these other ones that stood out the one we mentioned on the other show was um the chargers falcons thing the chargers falcons one where this week was obviously a huge well this week's the only thing that stops that being true 
like the the fact that that game went down to the wire and the Chargers got over the line instead of the Falcons is the only reason they're ahead in that bet. Um, where's um, who had that bet? I, I just I lost it. Oh, there it is Lee Miles. So the Falcons will finish with the same record or better than the Chargers. Again, let's go back to our preseason takes. The Falcons looked like they've got the most dead money in history. Mm-hmm. They're in a pure rebuild. Last year, all the data says it was kind of a lucky seven wins that they got to, right? They weren't as good as a seven-win team. And even if they repeated that, even if they backed it up this year, the Chargers were supposed to be a Super Bowl team. And the Chargers look great, right? I mean, we I, I, Again. Every, every, every March, April, yeah. May, June, July, I am team Chargers, right? They look great. Justin Herbert's heading into year three. They added Khalil Mack and that J.C. Jackson and all that stuff. Yeah, that should have been our red flag. Oh, I mean, I'll do it again next year. I'll do it again. <laughs> I'll, do it again. I'll do it again next year. Justin Herbert's going into year four. They're going to add another big piece, right? I'm all in on the Chargers for 2023 through 30. I'm already, already <laughs> out there. So at the time, we're like, of course, sprint to the podium, accept this bet. And... Um, it's a lot closer than we had expected, and last weekend was a very close game between both. I think we'll still end up winning it, but um, I mean, maybe a lot closer than expected. Falcons are four and five. Chargers are five and three mm-hmm. right now. So this is fun, right? This is just fun interaction. Other ones that I think here. we're clearly winning so far. Dak Prescott with an 82-plus PFF grade. He's at like 60-something right now because he's only played three games and one of them was terrible. Uh, that can change quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else we got? Bears, Bears have a top 20 offense this season. However, we define that. looked ridiculous a while yeah, ago, but another, all of a sudden, hmm, could happen. That's going to depend on the measure. We need to figure out what we said that was. I, I think anytime we're judging a full offense or defense, I default to EPA. So Where are they in that then? I'll look it up if you want to look at the Trey Hendrickson one. and Yeah, Trey Hendrickson was uh, supposed to have, was it 19 or more sacks? 19 plus sacks. 19 plus yeah. sacks for Trey Hendrickson, who has been cooking at times this season um, in terms of pressure. Like, he had a run where he was absolutely crushing it with pressures. He had eight in a game, then six, then five. But he hasn't had the sacks. He had three in a game against the Jets early in the season, then went on a run without one, and then had two in the last three weeks. But he's at five so far through nine games. The Bears are currently 17th in EPA per play. And they have to get to what, 20th? Top 20? 20. Wow. Okay. All right. So that looks... I mean, we're losing that one right now. I mean, teams that are in the... And this is how ridiculous it is, right? You you spend the whole offseason with a picture of what the NFL season is going to look like. And if you painted the picture that here are the teams where the Bears offense, from an EPA standpoint, they'd be ahead of the Chargers, the Cowboys. The the real... Hold Hold on. This list is amazing. The Bears have a more efficient offense than the Chargers, Cowboys, Cardinals, Bucks. Packers, Titans, and Rams, and Broncos. Those are just, no, I'm not listing every team. I'm just listing teams that if you said this yeah. three months ago, it would look crazy. Yes. No, that would look nuts. The, the real lesson from this, this particular list of bets is that the people that went in on a parlay are struggling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't parlay. Yeah, parlays are The guy that went like all in on the Jags parlay, that Brandon Scherf, this was Jonathan Terrazas, the sure, Brandon Sheriff will have his best will have a career year in PFF grade. Christian Kirk will finish top ten in yards, receptions, and touchdowns. And Fatakasi will finish top ten in run defense grade amongst defensive tackles. I don't think any of those is happening right now. So yeah, like a, a same team parlay on the Jags offense is not working out well for you right now. Yes, don't uh, for next year. I would suggest don't go crazy with the um, 
with the parlays when you're making bets with us. Yeah. And we should accept more parlays. Yeah, absolutely. Um, somebody said that the Chiefs will have will be top five in EPA for play on both offense and defense. Uh, offense, yes. Yeah, defense. 20th. So 20th. that's not, there you go. Not, not happening yet. Um, there was somebody else who said that the Patriots wide receiver group will be better than the Bills wide receiver group as judged by collective PFF grade. That's closer than you might think, but it's 79 to 73. So they're still not anywhere that near. I mean, that, you know, if Case Keenan plays a couple games, we'll see. Yeah, but Mac Jones and, you know. Mac Jones has to play better. And they need somebody other than Jacoby Myers to be good. Yeah. Any others you want to talk about? And then we'll talk about some new ones. Uh, what else we got in here? Uh, we did. So somebody else. So a, we're working again. We're working off a document that is open access. Yep. To all of our fans here. Somebody had a Bills offensive line being top five grade, uh, like the Vikings one. That's not happening. They are 17th in the latest PFF rankings. They haven't been higher than 17th. This is a high for them over the course of the season. So it would take something pretty spectacular for that offensive line to climb its way into the top five. That's one where I don't like the Vikings one. Maybe. I don't see the way that the Bills offensive line could get up there. So there you go. We've got a lot of fun bets here. Go check out the doc. It'll be in the description. Appreciate everybody being a part of this. I want to get into some new ones. But first, even though Best Ball Mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their Pick'em game. Just look at your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up higher or lower or a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website and mobile apps so you pick between two and five players for your pick entry get all your picks right and you'll take home some cold hard cash it's simple to get started just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app sign up with promo code pff and underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 that's underdog fantasy promo code pff get in on the action today all right so we've got the are all the emails new bet suggestions or there's a mix here uh if you look down there on the left where you click new bet you'll get to the new bet new bet one mm. mm-hmm. see all right you're see the email reader you want to do it uh, okay this one is from dino cirillo, cirillo. that's cirillo like yeah. jeff cirillo the old... well it depends where you're from it could be like you know they can pronounce the c in different ways depending oh, on the country okay. and the language it's from so i would assume you're right it's cirillo but it could be cirillo who knows dino uh, hey, Sam and Steve, big fan of the pod. EPA is a team, spat, uh, team stat, rapid rate of knots, et cetera, et cetera. As a diehard New York football Giants fan, even I can realize that they're exceeding expectations. Be it good coaching, high end of variance, or what have you, it's fun to see some life in this team, and my bet is going to ride the hype train. The bet is that in the slobber knocker of a division known as the NSE East, the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 17 will be playing for the division title with the G-Man taking it in glorious fashion. Uh, his forfeit, if this doesn't come true, will donate $15 uh, plus whatever the win differential is between the Giants and the Eagles in either direction to whatever charity we're doing at the time, i.e. if the Eagles win 14. I, this is complicated. We'll figure out the terms later, but he's basically saying the Giants okay. will beat the Eagles for the division. So it's in the $15 times... The, the, the number of win differences between yeah. the two teams. So if, like, the Eagles are two wins better, it's 30. Uh, keep up the great work. Been a fan for four-plus years, and we keep getting better. Go PFF and go Giants. Yeah, I mean, one, a lot of kind words from Dino. Sure. Two, I mean, this is something we believe in. We believe the Eagles are a great team. We believe that the Giants are overrated. This this fits the bill for something that we would 
bet on. Yeah, and generally we haven't had that many offers for new bets, so frankly, I think we just take them all. But I'm fine with this. Add this to the dock. We'll add it to the dock. Um, We'll take Dino's bet here. Yeah, I don't think there's any way the Giants are still in this in terms of the division win or the division title in that final game of the season against Philadelphia. Yep, and um, I mean the feeling here too is what are they two there's a two game difference in win loss record between the two teams right now and the eagles feel like maybe the most complete team in the nfl and the giants feel like overachievers where it's tough to sustain so yeah yeah the eagles by the way there's like a there's areas they can get better in like they are one of the worst tackling teams in the nfl at the moment they've missed 82 tackles i think as a defense which is lower or higher than everybody except like the Texans and some other god-awful defense like if they actually figure that out over the course of the year and stop missing as many tackles they get even better so they've also had games where they really only played a strong half sure you know where they just dominated the first half and let teams into the second half for whatever that's worth uh, that matters if in like the college football playoff but uh, not here in the NFL where they're just winning games uh-huh next one new bet number two new bet number two Rory Daniel there you go you can, even you can get that one. Could be Danielle. Could be, but, but since probably he's not. Irish, I think it's unlikely. Oh, uh, he's Irish? Oh, then it's probably something completely different than what than just Daniel. No, no, I, I believe it's Rory Daniel. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, Sam, Steve. My bet is that the Detroit Lions will make the playoffs. We'll take it. <laughs> My reasoning <laughs> is thus. The remaining schedule is not bad, though the Bears may be tougher than initially expected, alongside the Jets and Giants. Uh, then the Bills is a tough one, and the Vikings, good record, bad team. Uh, the first half of the year was filled with close games with basically two exceptions, Patriots and the Cowboys, the Steelers, the only other team uh, won by over four points. The offense is now healthier again with Jamison Williams still to add, and the defense has at least shown signs of improvement over the last couple of games. They are also only two games back from the final wildcard spot. People, ahem, looking at you two, have been quick to write off the hashtag restore the roar rhetoric due to the horrendous defense and poor record at this stage. However, in reality, the games have mostly been close and there's a lot of reason for optimism, in my opinion. Hopefully, you'll put your money where my wallet is and take this bet. The show's great. I'm a huge fan and I greatly appreciate what you guys do. Best wishes from your fellow Irishman. Restore the Rory. All right, so i'll I'll take the bet because the lions are in a hole here (laughs) however i get the optimism here's the optimism right okay let's look at the schedule really quickly they're they're two and six it's just they're two and six that's fine i mean we're last year the dolphins were what one and seven before you know it they were eight and seven or whatever it was right at one point Uh so the lions play the bears this week couple couple teams that are feeling a lot better now than they did three or four weeks ago they've got the giants in a couple weeks right i mean if 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 we believe that the lions are better than they've showed and that the Giants are not as good as they've showed. That's probably a, a better game than we think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that the data this year says that the Lions are better than they showed. It's more like preseason takes because the Lions' defense has been atrocious. The yeah. offense has been good. They play the Bills on Thanksgiving. If Josh Allen's not there, <laughs> I'm just saying, if Josh Allen. So if you want to look at Josh Allen's injury, yeah. there's a game this Sunday, the following Sunday, and then they have the quick turnaround for Thanksgiving. If we're talking, it could be a. Th- I'm saying if there's if it's a one week injury, it could easily become a three week injury because of the quick turnaround on Thanksgiving. It could be Case Keenum against the Lions on Thanksgiving. Then you have the Jaguars, another winnable game at home. Vikings, Jets, a Panthers winnable game, another Bears game, and the Packers, of course, who the Lions own. So there, I look. I mean, I've, they've won the last two. But, yeah. I don't think that Detroit is particularly 
uh, underrated at the moment. I don't think they're necessarily losing games that they could win down the stretch or that they've sort of shown better than the I think they're just not that good. But the one thing that does sort of give them hope is it might not take that much to get a final to get that final wild card spot in the NFC. So you look, you know, the the good teams in the NFC are winning divisions, um, and the, those records are kind of out of the equation, right? So Philadelphia, eight no, they're going to win the division probably. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings are seven and one. Again, they should win that division pretty comfortably. Seattle, six and three, maybe probably wins the division. Uh, Dallas is six and two. The New York Giants are six and two. So those are two potential wild card teams. But the third one, right now, is five hundred and then down, right? So San Francisco is sitting in that seventh uh, playoff spot in the NFC right now. The next team, like the on-the-bubble teams, they all have losing records. They're Atlanta, 4-5, and five, Washington, 4-5. and five. Like, teams that stink right now have are, are in the playoff hunt. So that is their optimism. Like, yeah, they're 2-6, and six, but 2-6 and six is a game behind the Rams – who are right on the cusp of being in that bubble picture. It's two games behind the Falcons who are literally sitting on the bu- Like, it doesn't take much. So then you have to look at what their record's going to be. You know, look at their schedule. Okay, away to the Bears, I could go either way. Away to the Giants, I, I agree with the premise that that's a closer game than the— Yeah. A lot closer than the records indicate. I think even without uh, Josh Allen, they lose to Buffalo. Home against Jacksonville, sure, that that's maybe a win. Uh, a game against Minnesota again at home, that could be a win. Um, away to the Jets, feels unlikely. Carolina, sure. Another game against Chicago, either way. Green Bay, again, either way. So there's a lot could of toss-ups. Jordan loves Packers by January 8th. Sure, yeah, but there's a lot of, like, coin flips on this schedule. Oh, I get it. I mean, look— it, it, they could go both ways. Of course, it's the Lions. We're not going to look at their schedule and be like, oh, they're favored in seven out of their next nine or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah. The could premise I, is interesting. I'll take it. I, I mean, they're two and six, oh, but yeah. they, they could absolutely get back to – they can get back to like seven or eight wins, I think, and and, and go back to if we said preseason expectations, the Lions are going to win seven or eight games. It's like, all right, there's a step forward, and let's see what happens now in year three. Because that's Dan really Campbell. the question is, is what is that seventh – NFC wildcard team going to finish with a record? Like, what is their record going to be? Right now, it's San Francisco at four and four. What do, what do we think that's going to be by the end of the season? Like, if that's a nine and seven, okay. Nine and eight. Or sorry, nine and eight. Um, it needs, what, six more wins or seven more wins um, from Detroit out of whatever they have left, which is doable, but tough. Like, if they win Chicago, if they beat New York, they beat Jacksonville, Minnesota, Carolina, Chicago again, and Green Bay. They would need to win all of those games to get them to that to, to nine and eight or nine, yeah, nine and eight. And if you think all of those are kind of coin flips, sure, you can flip heads seven times in a row, but it doesn't feel likely. Yeah. So that's why we're going to take the bet because it's less likely. Yeah. Um, I'm not taking it because I hate the Lions or think it's impossible, but I'm going to. You know, do your fellow Irishman a solid and accept his bet. Okay. If he wants to, if he wants to put, like, you would accept this, I, would, I assume. Yeah, I mean, I think we accept them all because why the hell not? Yes. Because now, all right. you guys have uh, strong armed us to just accept all bets. Yeah. Bet number three Colin Brinster, uh, Samuel, and Stephen. My bet is that Jeff Saturday will have a better win percentage as a head coach this year than Nathaniel Hackett. 
If I lose this bet, which I probably will, I'll buy a PFF Plus subscription. Cheers, Colin B. I think this is actually reasonably plausible. All right, let's go to the... What are they? Uh, what are the Broncos right now? They are... Three and five? Uh, the Denver Broncos are three and five, which is a win percentage of point three seventy five. Uh, yeah. Strength of victory wins... 370, three out of eight is 375. It says 340 here. What? I'm just reading you what's on the sheet. If they're three and five, that's three for eight. That's 37.5%. That's 375. The Colts schedule coming up here. Jeff Saturday is at zero or dash. Dash, yes. Eight games left for the Colts. We've got the Raiders, the Eagles, tough one. Steelers, Cowboys, tough one. Vikings, tough one. Chargers, tough one. Giants, that's a tough one. And Texans. Not, not an easy schedule remaining here for the Colts. What does, uh, what does PFF.com, what does our betting analysis say as far as the Colts' remaining schedule? Like, we're going to take this just for fun anyway, right? Yeah. But I think this has actually got a reasonable chance of happening. Like, you think the Colts have a reasonable chance here? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying the Colts are good or anything, but they've, like, they've cleaned house after winning a few games you know they're right in the middle of the pack 17th easiest schedule remaining denver has the fourth most difficult like technically they have a better record than the broncos right now they yeah yeah Yeah. you're right but we're talking about jeff saturday we're talking about jeff saturday coming in yeah with he was three and seven in high school last time we saw him (laughs) okay let's just i'm just throwing for perspective nathaniel hackett is three is, has his a, high school numbers nathaniel hackett is three and five at the in the nfl yes jeff saturday his last year in high school was three and seven that's 300 winning percentage okay. nathaniel hackett has a better nfl winning percentage than saturday's high school winning percentage that's not great like if you're it really doesn't matter like cliff kingsbury who had a losing record at texas tech his last year too and he's won in the nfl it doesn't really matter he's also not doing great right yeah now. i know he's not but it's like you know he was good for three years good enough for he three years i mean his his isn't his win record in the NFL like under 500 as well? Yeah, so it's comparable to Texas Tech. But it's not like directly proportional. Like, oh, if you're below average in the Big 12, you'll win two games in the NFL. It's I'm just not, not sure that's a great selling point that the guy who had a losing Whatever. record in college also has a losing record in the NFL. So most difficult count. Most difficult schedules in the NFL remaining. Bengals, Patriots, Jaguars, Broncos. So Broncos have the fourth most difficult schedule, and they're sitting here at three and five. Yeah. I feel like our schedule remaining numbers are heavily skewed by individual games, meaning the Broncos still have to play the Chiefs twice. The Bengals have to play the Chiefs, right? The Patriots have to play the Bills twice. Yeah. And I, and I think it's just because, like, your, your uh, odds of winning those individual games are so strong, are so low based off the numbers that you're going to have this difficult strength of schedule. I just think I, there's a reasonable chance the Colts win as many games as Denver going down the stretch. I'm not saying it's because of Jeff Saturday, but... No, no, this is a fun bet. Let's do it. Yeah. Chiefs looks like they uh, they have the fourth easiest schedule remaining hmm. in the NFL, Kansas City. So they could uh, they could run away with... Well, Baltimore's up there too, easiest schedule remaining. Two teams that might end up surpassing the Bills, especially if the Bills drop a game or two in the next couple of weeks could surpass the bills in that battle for the number one seed yeah i mean you As look I'm at over that, at pff.com looking at the betting nfl power rankings the cold schedule is definitely not easy you know there's quite a lot of reasonably difficult teams on there but 
You could see them beating the Raiders. You could see them beating Pittsburgh. You could see them beating the Texans, certainly. And then maybe they can spring an upset against somebody like the Giants or the Vikings. The Eagles, probably not. The Cowboys, probably not. The Chargers, maybe, because they could be anything. It's doable. Yeah, it's all doable. I mean, Sam Ellinger, man, he's got to make some, got to make some improvements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, what? I mean, Sam, that was one of the worst offensive games of the last ten years on on Sunday against the Patriots. I'm not saying it's going to be like that every week, but if it's anything close, like you can't just roll with Sam Ellinger the rest of the year. Like you're giving the kid a shot to see what he can do. At some point. Old Matt Ryan is you know put him back in there behind under this disastrous circumstance. Yeah, like what's the point? God, because you still we've made we've made this argument before. Like if Ellinger can't complete a pass, how are you evaluating anyone else on the team? Like Matt Ryan can at least distribute the ball and get it out and you know put fifteen points on the board. Oh, here's a question: Is Matt Ryan actually the most qualified play caller that the Indianapolis Colts have available to them? Yes. Okay, even if he's the quarterback. Yeah. Like, it's certainly from the sideline, right, when he's not busy and he's got nothing else to do. But, like, yeah, Matt Ryan under center, should he call his own play? Is, is Matt Ryan being the quarterback under center and calling his own plays actually the best schematic it's, offense that the Indianapolis Colts are currently capable of operating? Yes. <laughs> yes, Matt Ryan calling his own plays or calling Sam Ellinger's plays. Either way, it's the best option they have right I think now. So. Okay. It's it's what makes me every summer like we want stuff to talk about, right? That's a tough like that's a tough conflict of yeah. interest if he's calling Sam Ellinger's plays though. Yeah. You know? Hey Sam, we're gonna run QB power again. <laughs> Limber up. We're gonna mix it up here, run counter now. I know it didn't work the QB last counter. three times, but this one will be the one, trust me. Oh, just run behind this great line. You got this. I'll be in it a couple plays. Um it is you know, summer hype, right? So you've got um, an Isaiah Likely tearing it up in camp, and the hype was real. Look at it. I was in the regular season, and Isaiah Likely is a very good player, tight end for the Ravens. There was also very many think pieces about how the Indianapolis Colts offense could finally you know, evolve their offense, and Matt Ryan is so smart and knows all the plays and knows what he wants from his receivers and is teaching them where to be and how to change this offense and adding wrinkles that Frank Reich didn't even think about before because Matt Ryan is so experienced. Multiple pieces written about this during training camp. And it all matters not one bit because they were terrible. Mm. The offensive line was terrible. Matt Ryan couldn't handle it. And it's just fascinating when you, when you read stuff throughout the month of August about what's happening in training camp. And sometimes it matters and sometimes it matters not one bit like this so it's very profound thanks <laughs> i just think it's interesting where we are here i'm now i'm just still fascinated so we're we taking this bet oh yeah i'm just now fascinated by the concept that matt ryan ends up as a player coach calling his own plays i think that's awesome that should happen we should just do that now don't give it to the 30 year old with no experience let matt ryan do it he's older than that and he's got more experience all right let's make it happen make it happen the other thing you should make happen is checking out the PFF app. Right now you can read, what do you have here, Sam? You get your offensive line rankings. Mm-hmm. You get the top 25 highest graded quarterbacks all ranked here. All of our fantasy and betting information all in the palm of your hand with a nice PFF app. We'll be using that tomorrow. Maybe I'll just go, do I just give away all of our best bets tomorrow? Maybe that's what I'll do for my picks. Maybe. Like Thursday night football, there is, there's an edge to be had. 
that I'm seeing here in the app. So mm-hmm. you got to go check it out. Download that PFF app. Today's Wednesday. Do we have to preview Thursday Night Football too? Oh, we, didn't, we didn't think about that. No, yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. He's playing. That's Falcons-Panthers. Oh, outstanding. Excellent. No, let's not. Who's quarterback? PJ. PJ's back. PJ's back? Yeah. Even though they activated Darnold for a three-way battle of hell? PJ's <laughs> back into the lineup? Yes. Huh? Yeah. Okay. PJ's back maybe with, you know, quick hook, potentially. <laughs> for which one? I think you got to see what Darnold has at this point. Do you? If he's healthy. Yeah, so in a, in a world where you never know if Geno Smith is going to show up. Yeah. Right? Maybe Baker could be the next Geno Smith four years from now. I, I don't know if Baker has the patience for Geno Smith. No, you know? probably not. Probably not. Seeing him sit on the sideline for five years feels, feels like it's not going to go well. Though it is a lot of time to do commercials. It is. It is. Um, do we have... The Heisman commercials are good. Do we have yeah, anything else on the good. docket here for today's show? No, other than the uh, the explain the grade. I know we've explained the grade. And then we can talk about Thursday Night Football a bit. Then we'll preview Thursday Night Football. We didn't get a guest this week because we wanted to focus on you guys and, uh, and all your bets. All right, let's fire up. Explain the grade. Um, I'm sure PSF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. Yeah, we, we did get word last week that uh, Patrick Mahomes speaks. Yeah, yeah. I knew you. there was there yeah. was audio there. And I, I never just, checked. I just assumed that we would hear it through our earpiece at that time, but it didn't happen. All right, Sam. Justin Houston, let's start with that. Okay. Paint Three sacks and an interception. That's one of the most dominant performances in NFL history, Steve, but he had a PFF grade of 58.5. Why? Okay. So I feel like we lean on pass rushers a lot for these explain the grades because it is probably the easiest ones for us to explain. Sack totals are overrated when you're evaluating what a player did. There's multiple reasons for that. So Justin Houston had, um, he did have three sacks. One looked like a fumble, a forced fumble, but it wasn't. Um, That was the one where Dalton amazingly held the ball by like the tip and he was down. So of the three sacks, you have one that's unblocked on a stunt. Mm -hmm. You have one that we consider a cleanup pressure, right? The person who did more of the hard work on the second Justin Houston sack was actually Calais Campbell. Calais Campbell wins in about, oh, I'm guessing 2.1, 2.2 seconds. Oh, it was a Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen on a blitz. Had a really good game. He forces uh, uh, Andy Dalton up in the pocket. Justin Houston, it's a good play. He comes up and sacks him. But again, not as good as the emotional response of having a sack. Yeah, I mean, you look at that play and he's actually essentially stoned by Ryan Ramchek on his initial rush and then he's looking to see if the quarterback ends up moving somewhere that he can adjust to and make a play which is I mean that's good it's a positive he gets a positive grade for that we're not saying it's a you don't take it away you know it's not like it gets a negative grade or anything but that's a fairly low um, hurdle to clear for positive play for an edge rusher like can you just pay attention to where the quarterback is and grab him if he goes by you, which is essentially what that play yeah, is. Again, we're, we're not trying to diminish that. Here's how I want to describe it. So then, here's the third sack for Houston was his best one, right? He wins quickly. Really nice play. Against, uh, I think it was Throckmorton, the guard, uh, wins quickly. And I'm just, I'm playing the what-if game just to Uh-oh. paint a picture here. On that particular play, the last sack, it's, uh, it's third and seven. Andy Dalton has a drag route open underneath, right? 
And if he just throws that drag route, he would if, if he gets to the top of his drop and throws it on time, the drag, which could get them the first down, Justin Houston still wins. He wins just as fast, but he doesn't get the sack, right? But Houston would get the same exact grade for us yeah. because we're grading that one-on-one -on -one interaction, that win. The difference in whether or not that became a pressure or a sack was really Andy Dalton's decision there. Like, if he decides to just quickly throw that drag route, that's where his read takes him, it's probably just a pressure. And it's the same exact grade for Justin Houston. The one other thing I want to say about this is, in sports, when you track stats, they, I think football, again, is like the biggest disconnect between the stats that we track and the player's contribution to that sack, to, to that play. Right, because the only thing we had for defensive players for years was tackles, sacks, and interceptions, and it still plays in your mind. If you have these things that we always have counted, it must be good. It must be great. The emotional response is he had two and a half NFL sacks, three sacks by our by our numbers. Therefore, they must have all been good. When these were actually his only these were his only positive plays as a pass rusher on twenty one attempts, two of the sacks were pretty much due to other teammates doing more of the dirty work and him cleaning up or him being freed up on a stunt, which is fine. It's a good play, but it's not a great play. And then one really good win by Houston. The last one, the other one that triggers in our mind is, well, he had an interception. And the, the counting stats, he had two and a half sacks and an interception, right? The interception, again, was a batted pass that went up in the air and he caught it. It went right to him. It's a fine play. He gets credit for it. But when you hear interception... Your mind thinks, great play, well-earned, player must have done something incredible. In this case, it's really just lucky that the ball landed in his hands. So he'll get credit for it, but not as much credit as your brain team uh, seems to uh, to give that credit. Yeah, so effectively, I mean, he, got, he had three wins as a pass rusher uh, on 23 pass rushes. We had a win rate of like 9%, of which two out of the three were wins either because somebody else made a play and forced the quarterback into him or they made a complete balls of a stunt and he was completely unblocked up the middle, right? So those are their positive plays from Houston, but they don't and shouldn't get a better grade than his third play, which was a legitimate, really good win against an offensive lineman who was actually trying to block him at the time, right? right? That should get a better grade. And the fact that he ended up in a sack on both of the other ones doesn't dramatically boost his grade because it's relatively expected, right? You would expect anybody unblocked bearing down on Andy Dalton to sack him, reasonable or not, yeah, right? It, you would expect anybody who Andy Dalton is trying to wander past as he's stoned at the line to grab him and take him down. Like, yeah, those are the, expected plays for NFL pass rushers, so they don't get incredible grades just because the end result is sack. I want to describe the difference a little bit more too, really quick, because Drake Holiday in the chat here is saying, well, Houston still shed a block for that other sack. So he didn't really shed a block for the cleanup sack. He didn't really shed a block. No. Right? The one where he won, he is a guard literally trying to keep him away from the pocket. That is winning, right? Because he's trying to. On the one where Ramchek has him stoned, once Dalton steps up in the pocket, Ramchek is no longer blocking for the pocket, or he's still blocking for the pocket, but Dalton's not there anymore. So all Houston is doing is disengaging from the block backwards, yeah. right, away from the block. He's not beating a block, he's just disengaging from it. And we're properly giving him credit for that, which is a positive, but not nearly as a positive as actually beating a block when somebody's trying to keep you from the top of the pocket. Now, why was it a 58? There's negatives in there as well. 
right? There was no other positive uh, plays against the run. He only, had only eight run defense snaps and 23 pass rushes. He only had those three real positives as a pass rusher, and he jumped off sides as well. The offside is going to affect his overall grade. So he pretty much had um, an, an above-average pass rush grade, as much as we're kind of like diminish, trying to diminish the three-sack performance. It was above average pass rush grade, yeah. average across the board everywhere else, and there was a five-yard defensive offsides. And by the way, he is the victim of a really, really close run thing with the Andy Dalton holding the tip of the ball thing. Like if Dalton, if that comes out and it's a fumble, Houston gets a better grade because because he forced he the forced fumble, the fumble. Right? because the impact of his tackle would yeah. force now, the this fumble. is one of yeah. those situations where we really try and isolate the play that the player made versus the outcome so the sack thing right the difference like the the really good play the difference between that being a sack and a pressure is whether dalton throws the drag that was open because he doesn't it's a sack if he did it would have been a pressure but his grade would be the same because the play is the same this is one of the very few instances where his grade will change based off whether or not dalton holds onto that and keeps it as being nothing versus a fumble if but i would view it as fumble, you're the one who impacted him and forced the fumble right so it is yeah it's a so that's what i'm of, saying yeah so if that ends up being a fumble which is effectively not really up to justin houston in that play his grade would be better but i mean those are just the realities of like sometimes it is dependent on something else like goal line or not as important catch or not as important like these are there's certain things that have to be dependent on something else so i, I just I, not to beat a dead horse but i just want to reiterate one more time in other sports right like, if you hit a three-pointer in basketball, you earned it, right? Some threes are a little bit easier than others, but you did it. Someone else might make a great pass, but you earned the three-pointer. Um, a home run in baseball. The, the wall might be shorter or further away, whatever. But you earned it, right? You hit a home run. Are there any other... Like, if you score a goal in soccer, you might get set up well, but you, it's probably a good play, right? It's probably more you than your teammates. Maybe it's split. I don't know. Is there any other sport where we've just we've just lacked things to count on defense and on the offensive line right we've lacked things to count historically in football that because we couldn't count offensive line things we just gave all the credit to the running back right and because we only counted tackles sacks and interceptions which might have very little to do with the player that earned them those things still play in our head as they must be good and it creates this emotional response when you see that players had these stats you you think that they played well no. when other players could have set them up for I, I think it's just the difference between judging the outcome versus judging the quality of the play that was required to get that outcome so the the positive impact of the plays that justin houston ended up with for this game are insane like I, his epa must be crazy because those are massively negative plays for the offense. Every single yes, one of the them. value of three those sacks, plays was high. That's what right. I'm saying. Yes. So three straight sacks and a turnover. That's about as impactful a performance as you can have from a bottom line, um, you know, expected points type of, of perspective. But the que- the thing that we are judging is not how valuable was the outcome of the things of the plays that he he ended up making. It was how good was the play he actually made to res- to get to that outcome. And when you get to that question, you have one very good play and then three plays where I don't want to say he got lucky, but things broke his way and he took advantage of them, right? And the reason that that's important is 
that dramatically changes how hard it is to do that. And if you replace Justin Houston with any other random pass rusher, you would expect him to make three of those four plays, right? Yes. The cleanup play, you expect most pass, most edge rushers to make that play. The unblocked one, you certainly expect. And the interception. And the interception, right? You happen to be in the spot where the batted pass yeah. went. So that's the difference, is when you're asking how impressive was it for Justin Houston to end up with the unquestionably excellent results, that's when you get the disconnect. And I don't know if it's happened yet. Do the uh, players of the week come out? today or whatever i'm sure he got defensive. already been out but i I'm, would imagine he i'm sure he's gonna get defense player of the week because that's how they do it he had two and a half sacks and an interception justin fields got it this week which apparently is the first time that ari could remember a player on a losing team winning player of the week really which is more the the more amazing part of that to me is that that's true that losing efforts can't get players oh of yeah the week. i mean that just goes to the whole process of picking players of the week right. but yes yeah, i mean usually if you set a record no matter what it is you're probably going to be in consideration. If you said it right. Most rushing stat. Yeah. Most rushing Justin Houston, AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Right. So, anyway. Next, I think, to, next to Dick or the kicker. I, I think those are the... E- Personally, I think those are the easiest ones for us to explain. The biggest challenge is getting past perception. Because even... I, like, I'm watching the game. Man, Sam, I'm watching the game like anybody else. I'm not watching Houston every single play. But I saw him sack the quarterback a few times and pick up an interception in, in my head... I assumed he had a good game until we were able to go back and it's until I went back and looked at all the plays. It's perception and squaring that disconnect between results and quality of play to get said results. Like that, that's an important difference that is, it's relevant to what the grade is. Like that's what we're measuring is how, how good a quality of play did you make regardless of the outcome. There are other things and other people measuring the outcome already. The box score does a pretty good job of measuring the outcome right. because all it's interested in was what was the result of the play. The, the extra information is, well, how good was that play to get to that outcome? Yeah, and just the last thing. On our grades, we are trying to say, how well did this guy play? It, like you said, even though the, the results were valuable, it's how well did he play? What was his contribution to those plays that either had high value, low value, whatever they might be, right? So we're not necessarily saying value, Value is kind of baked in a little bit. But anyway, uh, the other explain the grade here. You wanted to go Josh Jacobs? Mm. Josh Jacobs has 17 carries for 67 yards, which is 3.9 yards per carry. But he had an 86 rushing grade and an 84 overall. Um, this one's easy because 67 rushing yards, 66 of them came after contact. And he had to break 11 tackles to get that far. So I think this is a good example of how, you know, sometimes it isn't just total cumulative out you know cumulative total rushing yards and production that are going to get you a high pff grade if you have a garbage offensive line or bad blocking or you know things go against you you can still pick up a really good pff grade and that was one of the top five i think of the week um without getting you know 150 rushing yards and a couple of scores like you can get that grade by making things happen that wouldn't have happened otherwise if you were just, you know, insert other running back here. So Josh Jacobs this year has broken 51 tackles, which is tied for the lead lead, um, and is working behind an offensive line that has not been good. You know, Nick Chubb is working behind the best run-blocking offensive line in the NFL. Josh Jacobs is not. Very is not. We also grade plays negated by penalty. And this one's a tricky one, too, because there there was a 23-yard run that was negated by a holding penalty. Jacobs runs by the holding penalty. It's kind of a judgment call on our part too, right? I don't think that holding 
is affecting things. It's a hold. It's a bad penalty. Jacobs still gets well outside that block. I think it was Matt Collins. Um, forces a missed tackle. Picked up what would have been 23. It gets negated. We're still grading the player's performance on that play. So that's going to get baked in there as well. But, yeah, that's one where, again, we're trying to isolate players, right? And Jacobs is going above and beyond what's given to him, mm-hmm. especially from, I mean, he had nowhere to run. And there are times in our system you might get a positive for a two-yard gain, right? Sure. You might get a neutral grade for a 10-yard gain. And it's because it is isolating that runner from, um, you know, what's around him. And, you know, Jacobs had some of the best four, five, and six-yard runs in there. Mm-hmm as far as creating after contact there you go all right grades explained i think we did a good job there thursday night football oh shoot well let's go are they going back to pj just because he put up 300 yards and a touchdown in this game the last time it was played like a week ago somebody said we should accumulate all of our explain the grades put them on to we, we should we could actually do that do like a bonus podcast of all of our explain the grades it's not really relevant like nine weeks later well no because it's more of a it's a process thing though it's not about this isn't this isn't about like week nine or ten in the nfl this is about understanding our process (laughs) it is a little bit like when you're saying hey this guy had whatever grade and performance in this week no but i think it's it's important because somebody in the chat suggested it like we should put it all together so people can understand what we're doing and try to we can do that that's a good Good, like off-season one. Here's our explain the grades from the season. Can we just get the interns on that? Mm-hmm. All right, let's preview uh, Thursday Night Football really quick. Falcons and the Panthers. You have a line on this thing yet? Uh, you have a I line on this? Let's go. Here we go. Green line. I got it. I got it. Falcons by two and a half in Carolina here. Okay. What are you looking for in this one? I see this three. See Matt Matt Hennessy's injured the uh, Falcons offensive lineman who's trying to run back on the field and just collapsed. He's trying to play through the injury the other day. He's been put on IR hmm. already. Um, but I think you bring you bring PJ Walker back because he showed promise for two weeks and then he kind of reverted back and he just like you're trying to figure out if you have anything anywhere right at this point. Yeah, and you probably have an idea of what Baker Mayfield is and it's like. We're one week removed from you saying, hey, PJ could be the next Geno Smith. Like, we're not. Yeah. And then 12 really... throws. Like, 12 throws shouldn't change your thought on that, right? 12 throws. Yeah, but three of them were to the defense. I get it. I get it. But if you're. Then you're just another, you know, hot, only, hot take artist. It's even worse. There's only 10 throws. 10 throws. 10 throws. 12 dropbacks. 10 throws. Three of which went to the defense. So 12 throws. You went caught. from, like, oh, this could be the next Geno Smith. This could be the next breakout guy. This could be the I next mean, Rick like, Gannon. Sometimes the extremes are important, you yeah. know? Like some, yeah. Like this, Nathan Peterman, every game. Right, yeah. One thing over here is the more stable, more predictive, more th- valuable thing to focus on in macro terms. But sometimes the extreme ends of these things are relevant pieces of information, you know? And, and PJ going out there in a hole and just going YOLO, heaving the ball to defenders left and right, that wasn't great. That no, wasn't. You want to see Baker? You want to see a rejuvenated Baker Mayfield? I, I kind of want to see Baker behind this offensive line now because it's a different one than the one he was operating behind early in the season. Um, Iki Aquanu has given up like five pressures in six weeks or something. Looks really good at left tackle right now. Um, that offensive line is another one that's been climbing up the ranking steadily over the last few weeks. 
So I yeah, I would I would like to see Baker Mayfield for a while behind that offensive line. This is all like a lot of this is priors as well. Like I as much as last week I was saying maybe PJ's the new Geno, I my priors on PJ were very low. My priors on Sam Darnold are as low as they can get. I don't think either of those guys has a future. I don't know if Baker Mayfield has a future, but at least there's a potential. Like we have seen top 15 caliber quarterback play from Baker Mayfield in his career previously. Therefore, that should still exist. Right. So if can you tap back into that potential? Because even if you can, like that is a viable option going forward at the position and nothing else you have is. Right. No, I agree with that. I think I'd rather see Baker Mayfield maybe with this rejuvenated offense, offensive line, P.J. Walker's rejuvenated offense. But P.J., you know, put up 300 yards last time. I throw him out there, and if it goes south, bench him, put Baker out there. And if Baker starts to lead a comeback again, then maybe that's your answer. The uh, If we're giving viewers something to watch, it's the Falcons' run game. It is the fact that they are a run-first team at an extreme level. They love to throw multiple tight ends out there, and they've got three running backs averaging over four and a half per carry, all have better than a 77 uh, rushing grade. Cordero Patterson just came back mm-hmm. the other day and destroyed uh, Drew Tranquil on the way to the end zone. Uh, Patterson's got five touchdowns in just five games, yes. but Caleb Huntley and uh, Tyler Algier also playing really really well uh, or just you know performed well behind, you know as part of this team here so. i need the atlanta falcons to to put cordero patterson back and let him return kicks yes he is tied for the the all-time nfl touchdown True. return record he has eight josh cribs has eight leon washington has eight patterson has done a fraction of the number of kicks of those guys because they've been steadily eradicating the kickoff by rule changes, right? So he's sitting there with the all-time record, tied for it. He's one away from breaking it, and they're letting Avery Williams return kicks. He's had right. one we return need, this year. We really need Patterson back there. Just, just, let, just let him get the record. He'll, it'll happen by the end of the year. He's that good. Just let him do it. Let him get the record. And then you can put Avery back there. Really, really quick, People don't always understand the difference between punt returns and kick returns. I mean, a kick return, what? How can you? Like, skill set-wise. Oh. Skill set-wise. Like, Devin Hester was great on punt returns because he'd, like, one cut, boom, speed, take it to the house. It's, it's tighter areas. It's more of a shifty, uh, shiftier player type of skill set. A kick return, I've heard, uh, I saw Nate, Nate Tice talk about this before. It's basically like a really wide run concept, right? You're running a run concept, right? You're setting up blocking and you're finding that gap and you're, you're making a cut and going. Um, but it's more of like a running back skill set, right? The kick return, mm-hmm. which makes sense with Patterson, right? P- there's people who have watched him play through the years, a former first round wide receiver and said he's got a running back skill set, not a body, but a running back skill set that shows up on kick returns and now actually shows up as a running back. Yeah. And even when you look at the all-time list, like a lot of the guys that were really good at kick returns were, a lot of them were running backs, but the ones that were receivers, a lot of those guys were those sort of weird skill set receivers that were more running back in nature, but the league doesn't really know how to deal with those guys. So Percy Harvin, Cordero Patterson, Josh Cribbs, like these were guys that were not traditional wide receiver skill sets that actually had a lot more in common with running backs. Right. But you know the league just isn't great at utilizing those people generally 
Um, one other interesting player for the Falcons, you've seen uh, a couple years ago, they spent first round picks on uh, Chris Lindstrom at guard and Caleb McGarry at tackle. Lindstrom's been a pretty good player, but McGarry was one of those guys, first three seasons below average this year, the four, year four O-line breakout at right tackle, 6'6 plus, and uh, really good in the run game, coming off a 94 run blocking grade last week against the Chargers. Massively. So watch the run game in this one. I'm saying, I'm asking people to watch the Falcons run game. That's what we're all going to sit down and watch on Amazon Prime here tomorrow night. Massively aided by this offense and, you know, limiting the number of true pass sets those guys have to deal with. Oh, yeah, uh, they've got far fewer true pass sets than anyone else. Nobody in the NFL, sorry, only the Titans have run fewer pass plays or have more pass blocking snaps than... The, the Falcons offensive linemen and the Titans have played one less game so like they are literally asked to block less often from a pass blocking standpoint than anybody else in the league um, Panthers also just got run over last week wrecked they were good against the run previously they got wrecked last week against the Bengals how are they going to bounce back that's what makes this one interesting strength against last week's weakness so I like the Falcons here by the but two also, and a half. This was, I just don't know what the Panthers are going to I think it was heading table. into the first game against Atlanta where heading into that game, the Panthers were the number one run defense in the NFL. And then Atlanta rushed for like 165 against yeah. them. And then, you know, Cincinnati just wrecked house. Yeah, by the way, we did see this game just a couple weeks ago. It yeah. was the crazy P.J. Walker, Hail Mary game and everything. I mean, that's why, right? We're 10 passes away from watching P.J throw yeah. one of the best Hail Marys of all time. And looked pretty good in that game. In, in outside of the pick six by Lorenzo Carter, did look very good in that game, looked good against the Bucks. So you got to give P.J. another chance here. I still think the Falcons are a, I think they're a better team here. I think they cover the two and a half. Yeah, I, the, the app has it at three, um, which I like because it finished at three last time. So it makes sense. There you go. So you're taking the Falcons as well. Uh, yes. So there you go. I'm just going to trust the app here. I'll give away all the apps picks. PFF app, go check it out. I like the yourself. suggestion that you just flip a coin. We might be, it might be time for that. Yeah. Bring some quarters tomorrow. We'll flip some coins. And I say that as someone that, that actually did worse than you this week. Who, who what? I, my, I did worse than you You did. Oh, yeah, that's pretty bad. I had the worst week I've had that's by a mile, in fact. Maybe we should just team up. No. And pick together. Because then I would be permanently dragged down to your... Well, maybe I'll talk you out of the right ones, and you'll talk me out of the right ones. Uh, Okay. Anyway, let's do it. Let's wrap it up. That's it. Thursday night preview. We're both taking the Falcons. Enjoy that. And uh, we'll be back here tomorrow previewing all of the rest of the Week 10 NFL action. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.